I love corsets. Old ones, new ones, overtly feminine, highly decorative and beautifully coloured ones. They're a treasure trove of craftsmanship and technique. Fluffy with lace, streamlined with distinctive cording and boning, dripping with ribbons and bows and endless lacings. And let's not forget steampunk or goth leather and metal versions that look stunning too. Corsets date back to the 15th century where rigid Spanish customs influenced their spread to Italy and England. But the corset, this garment of femininity, grace and glamour, is a very cleverly engineered garment indeed. One that perfectly balances function with aesthetics. And that's what I'm interested in here. That coalescence of form and function. And yes, you guessed it, using embroidery for all the purposes for which it was originally intended. To protect, strengthen and to decorate. Et voila, we've hit that magic trifecta. And whom do you think we have to thank for this? The Victorians. And I can't help thinking that William Morris and the arts and crafts movement would be clapping wildly from the sidelines on this one because that's exactly what they were all about. Form and function aligned with making an object visually beautiful as well as beautiful to use. Come on, let's travel into a world of something called flossing, the decorative embroidered element used on corsets to strengthen, reinforce and decorate, all in the name of achieving that elusive, hourglass, waspish, feminine shape the Victorians so admired, and admired still by many today. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Flossing is a technique that's hundreds of years old yet is still popular today with corset makers and it's something I'd never heard of until quite recently. This form of embroidery was invented by the Victorians in order to preserve the longevity of their corsets by strengthening the ends of boning channels where the bones could poke through with time and normal wear and tear. And in those times, flossing could be done by hand or by machine as the Victorians had special machines for flossing factory-made corsets. However, nowadays flossing is worked entirely by hand, meaning that the creation of the beautiful embroidery worked on a handmade corset is a labour of love. One object of flossing is to make the corset this symbol of a woman's femininity look pretty, enticing or seductive. 
And so it did, but that wasn't its only intention. Another purpose of flossing was also to make the corset more functional and long-lasting, reducing the corset bone's movement, thus helping improve comfort and wearability. And the embellishments should also be used to complement one another, drawing the eye to the waistline, creating that illusion of an even smaller waist while also balancing the embellishments used on both the top and bottom edges. The name flossing comes from the word floss, defined as soft thread of silk or mercerized cotton used for embroidery. In the context of corset making, flossing refers to relatively simple versions of embroidery, typically only worked on the boning channels, helping to anchor the tip of the boning strips in place so they don't slide within the channel. However, I have seen extant examples where embroidery was used on other areas of a corset purely for decorative purposes. And this form of surface embellishment opens incredible potential for variation, creating striking effects when used in repeated side-by-side placements, whether simple or complex. Floating flossing is created by working very elongated decorative straight stitches. It's an amazing, delicately spidery, yet extremely functional effect. This helps keep the corset smooth and prevents the bones wearing through due to friction, but flossing can also be used to disguise repairs to boning channels that have already worn through. At the end of the bone, the fabric of the corset is under more stress. By strengthening this area, you also minimise the bone's movement, which will stop chafing against the body. And I'd have to think that's a good thing. Many flossing patterns are simple repeat patterns and are extremely effective, being able to be stitched during construction or after the corset has been fully stitched, adding to its versatility. These patterns can be multicolour, geometric or even floral. And if you're at all keen to make your own corsets and decorate with flossing, it would be well worthwhile creating a flossing sampler. Simply Google flossing samplers or check them out on YouTube. Crystals, beads and sequins can be used. Beads and sequins are usually hand-stitched in place while the crystals are glued or they can be worked onto a separate patch and applicate in place. Hand-sewn lace motifs are also used and work beautifully with the decorative flossing and all should coalesce to lead the viewer's eye towards that cinched-in waistline. A variety of materials can be used for flossing from pure silk, pearl cotton, rayon polyester, regular embroidery thread to linen threads that may need conditioning with a beeswax conditioner. Why do people still want to wear corsets? Because they're beautiful garments with an infinity of form, often used in bridal couture and special occasion wear. These heavily engineered garments happily exist alongside their alluring prettiness. And therein lies their power.
They're a masterpiece of handmade craftsmanship, of technique and construction, and can be purchased as a custom fit, bespoke commission, or if you're game, handmade by you, <laughs> which means the detailing of your corset can be personalised and unlike any other ever made. And just because it's interesting, the busk is the rigid part of a corset at the centre front of the garment. Single piece busks were used in stays and bodices from the 16th to early 19th centuries and were intended to keep the front of the corset or bodice straight and upright. Cording is another popular way to decorate and help stiffen corsets, with cording channels often worked to add ex an extra visual element to the overall look of the corset, often at unusual angles to the boned channels. Bones can be made from whale bone, the baleen of the whale, steel, cane or nylon. Now let's just focus on colour. And this introduction is taken from the Underpinnings Museum in, uh, Museum's introduction to the exhibition Incendiary, A History of Red Lingerie through 30 objects dating from circa 1860s to 2017. When used to colour women's lingerie, red's poignant symbolism engages with societal perceptions of feminine sexuality and empowerment. During some parts of the 19th century, fashionable shades of red in women's dress included scarlet, crimson, cardinal, garnet, ruby, poppy and even a dull deep hue called antique red, Harper's Bazaar, 1868. Yet opinions of brightly coloured undergarments were vexed, variously considered abhorrent and improper or stylish and inflammatory. New associations were formed by the middle of the 20th century. Lingerie was marketed to women in countless shades of red, including flame, bright rose, spice, cherry, firecracker and siren. These were considered fun and bold hues to enliven one's wardrobe and were often combined with black for a dramatic look. Women's Wear Daily, 1952. Since the sexual liberation movement of the 1960s, red lingerie has developed more romantic and seductive associations, gaining a reputation for being sexy, red-hot, smouldering or incendiary. Suitable colours for undergarments were typically white and corsets were most commonly undyed or dyed in greys and blacks. Yet Godey's Ladies' Book reported in 1870 that many ladies who objected to gay red corsets a few years ago wear them now in preference to all others as they retain their fresh, warm look all winter and do not show soil. Brightly coloured corsets were considered vain and indecent for much of the 19th century, epitomised by this warning from the British magazine Vanity Fair in 1875. Do not imitate those who love coloured corsets. A lady should wear only a white corset. 
Fortunately, that attitude changed by the end of the century, corresponding with the popularity of synthetic dyes. The English magazine The Ladies' Realm reassured readers that the most virtuous of us are now allowed to possess pretty undergarments without being looked upon as suspicious characters. And that's the power of colour and societal perceptions. So here are a few examples of flossed or embroidered corsets. A brown corset circa 1890s from the US features scarlet embroidered bust gauze creating an eye-catching feature. A silk satin and velvet maternity corset circa 1885 from Madrid, Spain used white geometric flossing patterns on a very pretty and delicate play, uh, pale blue corset. A stunning black corset from 1890 features corded hips and an intricate boning system using 42 cane strips and four tempered steel strips. The cane boning allowed decorative stitching work to be done uh, by the recently invented embroidery machines that could pierce the cane strips without the needle uh, being damaged. Dating from 1900, a stunning black and red corset, probably manufactured in Germany, boned with a combination of whalebone and flat steel. Decorative black flossing is hand-stitched at the bottom end of each of the boning channels. And lastly, the pretty housemaid, circa 1890, was advertised as the strongest and cheapest corset ever made, marketed directly to women in service. Coffee coloured with jewel blue flossing, it was one of the best sellers of the day. So now let's take a quick look at the corset's modern day iteration. While the corset dates back to the 1500s, they have never really left the fashion scene being reimagined by countless designers over the years. And one of the most notable comebacks was in the 1970s when British designer Vivian Westwood used her subversive style, making them a, sta a staple in her punk aesthetic as a symbol of women's empowerment by adopting them as outerwear rather than underwear. Those vintage corset tops are now highly sought after by collectors. French couturier Thierry Mogler designed a golden hard-bodied corset dripping in rhinestones, also reinforcing that relationship between corsets and women's empowerment. Prada, Alexander McQueen and Balenciaga have incorporated the trend in their 2021 collections, but it's the smaller brands that have revived that romantic Regency trend where corsets have gone viral on social media. British label Charlotte Knowles told Vogue that the brand's militarised corsetry was aimed to represent how women are fighting for a place in the world. Forecast trend for corsets in 2022 include strapless, long-sleeved and, of course, lacing, created in a multitude of fabrics and prints from classic toile de joie to upcycled upholstery fabric.
Recent fashion catwalks have included collections from Versace with a riot of tight bustiers, becoming a new symbol of sharp femininity with the contrast of that rigidity against the bare skin, bringing back the emphasis on the hourglass shape and a focus on the waist. Pop culture and retromania have helped morph the idea of femininity, while shows like Netflix's series Bridgerton have also helped in the current success of the corset. Corsetry, though, has never really been abandoned. Their applications are infinite, able to be adapted to every body type, style or need. It's one fashion item that's conquered macro trends, subcultures and generations and one that is forever evolving via that ultra-streamlined feminine shaping, delicate yet functional embroidery and strong lines that is an eternal drawcard for lovers of fashion. Now the corset is something I'd love to investigate further. Gosh, who has time <laughs> with its historical connections to its up-to-the-minute uh, up modern-day fashions. But for me, it's the embroidery that makes them special. All those little uh, additional uh, embellishments. Infinitely delicate, elongated and spidery and immensely feminine. What's not to love? Thank you so much for listening and for your time. How amazing is this world of embroidery? It just keeps on giving. But wait, there's always more to come in 2022. So do stay tuned and subscribe. Stitch Safari's now reached over 9,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Warp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at January 2022 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website, so do head on over. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into Stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.